tell you what let's do. Let's have a prayer, and then uh, we'll jump into the Word. God, uh, again, we just thank you for your Word, God. I just pray today that there'd be an anointing upon it so that it seeks deep into our hearts, God. And that, um, Father, no matter how we came in today, that we leave here changed. God, teach us today about worship and about um, just who you're creating us to be, God. Our, our purpose and our design. Lord, just allow this Word to produce great fruit in our lives. We give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you were here last week? A handful. Real quick, I want to catch you up on what we talked about last week because God really put on my heart that we began to look at the purpose of the church. What's the purpose of the church? And biblically, what's the purpose of every church? Because I feel like we've gotten away from that. And we began last week by looking at some statistics. And the statistics were really shocking to me as I began to research them and look at them. I thought that since we lived in Statesboro, Georgia, everybody was kind of like a Christian, you know. At least everybody said they were a Christian. And you're in rural Georgia, so... But I began to look at it, and what I found was that only about 31% of the people in Statesboro actually claimed themselves to be Protestant Christians. That's, you know, people who believe, um, like you and I, that's the Baptist, the Methodists, the uh, Pentecostals, Assemblies of God, whatever you want to say, that about 31% of the people claim to be Christians in Statesboro, which is pretty wild when you consider that there's like 26,000 people in the city limits, some of those probably college students, some of them probably not, because you would think that everybody's a Christian, right? Um, especially when you hear statistics like, how many of you have heard the statistics like 80 to 90% of the people in the United States believe, believe in God? If you ask them, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. But when you start breaking it down a little further, you begin to see the, dis, the, uh, the difference there and the 80 to 90 percent and those who actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And so when we begin to look at that, I, I was actually shocked. I was down at school in Lakeland when I, I started Googling it and looking at it, and I was just blown away by how low that percentage was. And so I started looking at that. It really got me thinking. And so I wanted us to go back and begin to look at the purpose of the church. I mean, listen, if we're going to reach, that means 69 percent of the people that are around us need to hear who Jesus is. Amen? So we need to go and we need to begin uh, understanding why we exist if we're going to make a dent in that. I believe that 31%, we need to raise that up a little bit. I don't think that's good enough. Okay? I think we need to begin to, to go out and begin to make a difference. But we've got to understand our purpose as a church. And last week, the thing that we looked at was we began to look at how the church is disillusioned. See, I was disillusioned about the statistics. I thought that 80 90% would probably say that they were Christians. I was disillusioned about that. And I began to look at it, and I believe that the church has become disillusioned about its purposes. We talked about several things, and I'll, I'll do this quickly, but we talked about the fact that of what the church is not, that the church is not an institution. It's not an institution. It's not a hierarchy of things. That we, The church is made up of you and I. The word church, when we hear the word church, we automatically do what? We think of what? The building. That's exactly, I mean, what do we say? We're going to church. But really, the church is where we are. So when we were meeting out in the, in the pond house, and, and there were seven of us, the church was there. Jesus Christ was there in our midst. He was walking in our midst, so he was there. So it's not an institution. It's not a hierarchy. It's not an organization. You have to have all of that, the organization and all that stuff, but, but that's not what the church is. The church is you and I, and we've got to realize that we are a body of ministers, that just because God's calling on my life is to be a pastor, it doesn't mean that I'm the only one in here who is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all called to share that. And if we're going to make a dent in the 31%, raising that up, 
I think we ought to at least flip that, you know, 69%, 31% instead of 31%, 69%. I think we could get there, you know. And, and I think we need to at least flip that. But if we're going to do that, it's going to be by everybody taking responsibility as a minister of the gospel. And so we've got to see we're not an institution. Another thing that we're not is we're not a perfect place with perfect people. I read a quote this week by Billy Graham. He said, if you want a perfect church, keep looking for one. But when you find it, the minute you join it, it's not perfect anymore. Because you joined it. And I read that this week, and I thought, well, I wish I'd had that last week, you know, but I got to share it anyway. But, but the thing about it is, when we begin to look at that, we, we've got to realize that we're not perfect. Somehow when we get saved, we forget about how we were before we got saved. I use the example of when my brother-in-law and I, we got saved, we, we started living for God. Um, we came back, and we could not understand why everybody else didn't feel the same way we did. And just the week before, we were the worst of worst. You know, so we've got to remember where we've come from, you know, that God's brought us out of all that. And, and that gives gives us thanks for God just in that. But but remember where we were. Remember, this is not a, a perfect place. We're being made perfect. God has taken us from glory to glory, but we're not there yet. And so when people come through the door, um, just because they don't look like us, smell like us, talk like us, doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. And so remember that this is not a perfect place for perfect people. The other thing is it's not a spiritual hospice. It's not a place where you come and get comfortable just so you can spiritually die. Now, I told you before that my wife and our family has experienced the love and, and the care of hospice, how, how awesome uh, that, that ministry that they have is. But the church is not to be that. The church is a place where you ought to come and when the body of Christ is gathered together. Listen, the God of the universe is in your midst. It ought to be a place where you are challenged, where you're encouraged, where you, where you um, are stirred to go out and make a difference in the world shouldn't be a place we come and just get comfortable and end up dying. Um, we, we went on and we began to look at it uh, in just all the different ways that the, of the things that the church is not. Um, and it went on and on, and I'm not going to go on because we've got a lot to talk about today. But, but I just want to tell you that we have become disillusioned. And so we looked last week at what the church is not, and this week I want us to begin to look at what the church is. Um, I was down at Lakeland, and... Uh, where I go to school and, and down at Southeastern University. And, and I was down there, and, and I kept hearing Dr. Rutland. Some of you may be familiar with Mark Rutland. I, I kept hearing him talk about alignment. And he kept talking about alignment in organizations and businesses. And so that he was talking about the alignment of your mission, your vision, all of these different things. And he, talked about, he told us this story, and this is a really, really cool story to me. He told me this story about when he was in Africa. And he said he was an African. He's got this guy, this tour guide, who's taking him around like his little driver guy. And he said, um, he said, why are these guys? He said he kept seeing people with these big logs on their head. And they're like walking with logs on their head. They had these big buckets on their head. They're walking with these big buckets just on top of their head. And they'd, they'd be walking with a four-foot log on their head and carrying two buckets of water and like running and said not spilling a drop. And, and he looked at the guy and he's like, why do they carry everything on their head? He's like, why don't they just hold on? You know, why don't they just tote it? And the guy said, you really want me to tell you? He said, yeah. He said, can I be honest with you? And he said, yeah, be honest with me. He said, I've wanted to do this for so long. He said, so I can really tell you. He said, yeah. He said, because Americans are stupid. And he, said, he just wanted to tell He said, okay, I'll, I'll take that. What, 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 why are we stupid? He said, because you carry things wrong. He said, you try to carry things like this. And he said, you, you have no strength. He said, everything's hunched over. You know, your back hurts. Everything hurts. He said, you've got to put it on your head. He said, why put it on your head? And he said, alignment, Dr. Mark, alignment. 
And he said, everything's in line. He said, it gives you strength. And so he would use that to talk about the organization of aligning your mission statement, your vision statement, all these business things, all these organizational things. And I just kept praying over that, thinking about that. And I began to think about the church and its purposes. And I began to think about Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And I began to see that what made that church so awesome and so powerful, that, that first church, was that they were in alignment with God. They were in alignment with his word. Let's look at that verse real quick. I want to tell you, if we're going to make a difference in this world that we live in, we've got to get to a place where we come into alignment with the purposes of God in the church. We've got to quit trying to do things our way, and we've got to get to a place where we begin to do things the way that God would have us to do them. Let's read this real quick. It says, in verse 42, it says that these, these early, this early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fo- fellowship to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he needed. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And it says, And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. If you look in that scripture, you begin to see very clearly the biblical purposes of the church. You see that first of all, they were worshiping God. Purpose number one, they were worshiping God. Secondly, uh, there was evangelism. They were telling others about God. I mean, they added to their number daily. There was some evangelism going on there. People were finding out about Jesus Christ and they were coming to the knowledge of who he was and who he is. And so they go, and, 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 and then they begin to see very clearly that there was discipleship taking place. People were being discipled. They were sharing things. They were, they were fellowshipping. So you've got the first four right there. You've got that they were worshiping God. They were telling people about God. They were discipling one another. They were devoted to the teaching, and they were fellowshipping and caring for one another. And it goes on, and, and uh, it, it talks about all of these. And, and the last one there... Um, that they served in ministry together was the last one. That they were taking care of one another. They were serving, caring for one another through ministry. So you've got the five purposes. I'll say this again because that was pretty chopped up. But that they were worshiping God. They were telling others about God. They were fellowshipping. They were serving in ministry. And then they were discipling one another. So that there was alignment there. Now the funny thing about it is, as I was thinking about this, I realized that they were not sitting there going, okay guys, we're starting a church we got to get this in alignment. So let's do this, 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 and this. They weren't sitting there with their five things going, we got to make sure we got these things. This was just what they knew. This was just what was in their heart. This is just what had happened. So that, that out of their heart came these things. But I believe that where we are as the church today is we've gotten to this place where we really don't know what our purpose is. That's why Rick Warren sold like a gazillion copies of that book is because the church no longer knows its purpose. People no longer know their purpose. So if we can get back to our purpose, I believe we will find the strength and the power of God that they lived in in this time. And see, we always want to get back to this Acts church, but typically when we think about that, we think about the miracles, we think about the healing, we think about all of this stuff going on, and we really don't want to do the things that we need to do to be able to get everything in alignment so we see that kind of power moving. 
Does that make sense? We, we want to go, we want to have it instantly. We want, oh, well, let's say, just say the word says this, so this has got to happen. But I believe if we'll come and we'll begin to get ourselves in alignment, the body of Christ will come into alignment with what we're supposed to be, then we'll begin to see the power of God moving in the way that, that we really want to see God move. I'm telling you, the only way that we're going to change the face of the earth is through the power of God moving in the church. I always thought about it like this. It's like when if you had a hose pipe and it was connected to the throne of God. Think about this. And it's running straight down to us. And it's, it's just flowing with water. It's as it's, it's straight as it can be. And it's flowing and, and God's power and His, His Spirit's pouring out all over the place. But then you take that and you start bending it. You get it out of alignment a little bit. You've done this before. You're washing your car. You don't want the water to come out. You kink the hose, right? So you take it, you kink it. And when we begin to do that, when we begin to get out of alignment, it throws a kink in the hose. We get over here. Maybe, or maybe we're focused on fellowship and we're fellowshipping. Boy, we got great fellowship. But we, we, really don't, we don't really worship God. We don't really take the time to, to worship God, to be in His presence. But we hang out a lot. And we, got, we like each other, and, and we, we go to the beach, and we do all this stuff, but there's really no discipleship going on. And so things get out of whack. We get out, sometimes we can be really good at one thing, but we've got to begin to focus and flow in all of these things so that we've got this alignment with God where the power of God is able to flow through the body of Christ. And so today what I want us to do is I want us to really begin to look at the first one, which is worshiping God. Because listen, if we don't get this one right... We're not going to get any of them right. If we, if we are not in such a relationship with God to where when we talk to people about God, it's authentic, then they're not going to give a, a, a one ounce of what we think. If it comes across, and I'm telling you, people today are so skeptical. I, I preached a few weeks ago about how many people have been hurt by the church. People are so skeptical about the church today. If it is not authentic when you talk to them, they're not going to hear it. So the first thing we've got to get right is this. We've got to get right our relationship with God. We've got to begin to worship God so that when we begin to pour out, it's authentic and it's real. We can't just drop some biblical cliche on people and expect them to go, oh yeah, I want to be a Christian. Most of the time they don't know what you're talking about anyway. I mean, we throw around terms like live a lifestyle of worship. And people are like, what the heck does that mean? Live a lifestyle? We were joking this morning about other cliches like, you know, walk the talk. You know, we come in church and we're like, well, we've got to walk the talk. And the people who've never been to church are going, what, walk the talk? What are you talking about? That's like a wrestling thing or something, isn't it? You know, people don't, people don't really know. They're just kind of like looking at you like, what? And we're going, well, we've got to die so we can live. Die so we can live. What are you talking about? I've got to become less. He can become more. You know, and we say all these things and we just drop biblical cliches. But people are going, what? I mean, anybody can memorize a few verses. It's got to be something that when we open our mouth, it flows out of this relationship. And so we've got to get this right with worship. We've got to get to a point where we actually come into this alignment. And the first thing is that we've got to begin to worship God. We've got to redefine worship. And I want to tell you, most of the time, our worship definition, if we took a poll, what is worship? Well, worship was what we just did about, what, 30 minutes ago, I guess it was? That was our worship, right? That's what everybody says worship is. And typically, your definition of worship is based off of the type of music you like. Come on, some people like hymns and get really offended when you don't sing out of a hymnal. And since some people like the, the fast upbeats, I like it fast, I like it hopping. You know, I like that kind of music, that's just me. You know, I figure, you know, the devil's had all the good music long enough, we need to have some of it too. And so we, we just have good music, you know, I love that kind of music. 
And so we go and, and we, we, we base our definition of worship off of really a lot of our preferences. A lot of times worship as we know it is based off of the type of worship we've experienced. If you grew up in a Baptist church, then you understand worship to be, you know, Baptist. If you grew up Methodist, you understand worship to be robes, choir, organ, that kind of stuff. If you grew up Pentecostal, you grew up people running around, you know, I mean, but that's just nothing wrong with any of it. That's just what it is. I love it, man. I love it. I, I can't wait for the day that we're in worship and somebody just goes around the sanctuary about five times. I just love it. I would rather stand next to some idiot who is worshiping God, going crazy, than somebody who is just dead as a doornail. You know what I mean? I mean, I just love to see people excited about God. But we, we develop our, our understanding of worship typically by what happens on Sunday morning from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. It's Sunday school, you'll go to Sunday school, we go to 11 o'clock, we go to worship. And, and we even have given that word, this connotation, um, that's a lot like church. All right? And so, so we've given this word a connotation like church so that we think about worship. The first thing we think of is the music. What's the music going to be like? So, so what's your worship service like? So what's the worship like at your church? What do you, you know, is it raising hands? Is it sitting? Is it kneeling? Is it um, sitting there and if you make a noise, you get slapped on the back of the head? I mean, what kind of worship style is it? And so we've got to begin to see that worship is so much more than that. And I want to give you a real simple definition of what worship is to me. And I guess this is not out of, this is really not out of a dictionary. This is out of my head, so it's got to be really simple. Okay? It, it's simply magnifying, glorifying, and exalting God. That's about as simple as I know to make it. Now, when you think about magnifying God, what does that do? It makes him so much more clear. It is, it is magnifying him to the point that you begin to see more clearly. You begin to understand a little bit more about who he is. And here's the cool thing about it. It doesn't have to be in a worship service that you begin to magnify God. You magnify God right by yourself in your car. You begin to worship God. You begin to sit still before God. You begin to allow God to speak to you. And God becomes more clear so that you're worshiping Him. He's magnified. He's, he's glorified. And He's exalted. He's lifted up. He, he's, he's raised up and, and, uh, and put on the throne of your life. I love the thought of that. That if I'm here and I'm, I'm living this life, then who's on the throne of my life? Is it me? Or is it God? Because the problem that humans have had since the beginning of time is wanting to be on the throne. It's what got us in trouble the first time is they wanted to be like God. And, that, you know, God said, listen, you can eat it, but you're going to die. And Adam and Eve just chose to eat it anyway because they would become more like God. And so they ate. They were deceived. They thought it would be okay. And so we've always lived out of this thing of really wanting to become more like God. But we've got to remember that when we worship God, listen, you can't worship something that you don't exalt. You can't. You've, he's got to be on the throne of your life if you're really going to worship. Now, we can come in here and pay lip service to God, but we really can't worship Him and not allow Him to be on the throne of our life. If we come in and we're really worshiping, listen to this. There are three words that are mostly translated in the Greek. And, and if you want to laugh, you're fisting to hear a South Georgia guy try to talk Greek, and it is just, it's just funny. So I'm just going to go ahead and give you a fair warning. But there are three words in the Greek that are used for worship. And two of them denote uh, uh, 
an attitude of reverence, an attitude of awe. One of them actually means um, to kiss the hand. And you think about it, like I guess what you kind of see with the, the Pope or whatever, you're kissing the ring kind of thing. But it really means to, to bow down. It means real reverent and in awe of God. Those two words are sebo and proskinio. All right. And, and those are the two words. There are other words, um, and the third one I'll give you in a minute. And there are other words that are translated worship in the New Testament, but they're only translated like one time. And it's just because of the context that they're in. So these are the three main words that are translated for worship. But those mean to bow down, to worship, to be in reverence and all. The next one is latrinio. Okay? And, and for some reason, when I try to say a Greek word, it always comes out Hispanic. I don't know why that is. But, but anyway, it's like latrinio. And, and the cool thing about this word is it's so awesome because it, it comes with an attitude of service. It's not just lifting God up. It's not reverence. It's not all. It's actually an action-oriented word. It refers back to the Old Testament when the Levites would actually go and they would um, serve in the temple. And they would, they would serve. So there's the three main words. Two of them mean reverence, all bowing down, worshiping. Uh, they mean uh, to put somebody in a place of authority, to exalt somebody over your life, to bow down and worship them. The other one means to go and to serve and, and to minister and to worship through service. And I think that's pretty cool, and I think that that's going to be important. And we talked about this, that we have this lifestyle of worship, that we live out of, we want to get to this place of, of a lifestyle of worship. And we're going to see those words come back in just a minute. But the thing that's going to be real important is we need to begin to look at how do we get to that, and what does it actually mean? Because, I mean, if we're just walking around and we're just going, well, I just want to live a lifestyle of worship, what does it really mean? How does that really work? And so today I want to talk to you real quickly about that. Look in Acts chapter 1. We read in Acts chapter 2 where all of this stuff was happening. These people were, were doing the, the five purposes of the church. They had it perfectly in order. They weren't thinking about it. It was just happening. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that says this. Paul said that love compels us. And I believe that what compelled them was just the love of God. It was what was on the inside of them. That's what kept them lined up, is that they were so in love with God, and they, they had all of these things happening. But we never really talk about what happens over in uh, Acts chapter 1, before the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work among them. It says in Acts 1.14, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now these are the people who just saw Jesus get crucified. They just saw Jesus um, uh, raised from the dead. Now he's gone. And here's the cool thing about it. They go and, and Jesus says, just go and wait. And they go up there and, and you know, I think the last thing that would have been on my mind is I'm going to go up here and I'm just going to worship God. The thing that would have been on my mind is I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to hide, and maybe they won't find me. Because all this stuff, they didn't know what was going to happen. There was so much uncertainty. Yet they go and they get up in this upper room and it says that they were all in prayer. They were all calling out to God. They were all worshiping God. See, so many times we don't see that as an act of worship. We just think that we've got to be in here singing songs. But they were all together. They were of one mind, and they were praying and worshiping God. And what happened? God sent the Holy Spirit among them. The day of Pentecost happened. And all of a sudden, the church begins to line up. The church begins to do all of these amazing things that we see happening in, the, in this early church. Now look at Acts chapter 10. I want to read to you verses 1 through 7. 
It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered your prayers. And the angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, he, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now here's the cool thing about this. Cornelius was a worshiper. It says right there in verses 2 and 3, it says, He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And then it says, One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. 3 in the afternoon was the hour of prayer. If you look back in Acts, when John and Peter are going to the temple, it says they went about the ninth hour, about 3 in the afternoon. They were going for the hour of prayer. That's when they healed the beggar, when they said, Silver and gold, I have none. What I have, I give to you. It was during that hour of prayer. So this was during the hour of prayer. He was worshiping God. If you go on and read that, I'm not going to read it all just for time. But if you go on and read that, the same thing happened with him. God poured out his spirit upon him. He sends Peter to this guy and God pours out his spirit upon him when he receives Christ. So the thing I want you to see in this is that whether it was corporate worship or it was private devotional worship, the end result was the same, that the Spirit of God was poured out upon those who were worshiping. You see that? So that the Scripture is true that God inhabits the praises of His people. Whether you're in this this body of believers, or whether you are are alone in your house, with lights off, sitting in the floor, whatever you're doing to worship God, that He sends His Spirit. Because God inhabits the praises of His people. And so that we see that the Word of God is true. Now the thing that we got to see about this, and the thing that is so important for us to see about worship is, one, the disciples, I doubt seriously they were in a frame of mind to be doing a lot of worshiping. They didn't know what was going on. They were scared. They, they didn't know what was happening. Cornelius, by all rights, had no right to worship God. He was a, he was a Gentile. The Jews were the ones, they were the chosen ones. They were the children of God. But Cornelius had made a choice that he was going to worship. In both situations, and this is the thing that we've got to remember, you've got to hear this, that we have got to make a choice to worship God. That's the first thing you've got to do. If you wait until you feel like worshiping God, you'll never worship God. If you just got saved, you know how people that just got saved are all giddy, you know? And, and, and they're just all, hee, you know, and they're just excited. You have this emotional thing that just drives you to worship. And some days you may walk into church and there just may be something on the inside of you that just really, oh, I can't wait to get to worship today. You know, I want to praise God. But I'm telling you, when you've been saved for a while, there will be days when you walk into the house of God. There will be days when you get out of the bed in the morning. There will be days when you sit down to read your Bible that you just don't feel like worshiping God. And at that point, you have to make a choice. It's a decision that you make that today I will worship. Every day that my feet hit the ground, I will worship Him. 
whether good or bad or whatever's going on. I may have had the worst day of my life, but I'm going to worship God because I choose to. And the cool thing about it is when you choose to worship God, typically you will experience God. And I don't care, when you experience God, it's typically some kind of emotion. But if we wait on the emotion to precede the worship, it'll be very seldom that we'll ever worship. Because we can't base it off, listen, we're not saved by feelings. We're not, our faith is not based in feelings. And our worship is not based in feelings. It's based in a choice that we make that today I worship God simply because He's worthy. And today I exalt Him and I put Him on the throne of my life. And today I'll magnify Him in my life so that I see Him more clearly and so that other people around me can see Him more clearly as well. Now look at this. So here it goes. We begin to make this choice. Look, go ahead and you can turn to Romans chapter 12. We begin to make this choice that in my life I will magnify God. In my life, I, I choose to worship Him. I choose to glorify Him. I choose to exalt Him. When we begin to magnify Him, we begin to see Him more clearly. And so we've got to get to this place of seeing that this life of worship is just taking worship out of the box of what we typically know of as worship. It's taking it from just Sunday morning from 10.30 to 12, and it becomes our entire life. But we've got to see that it all begins with our relationship with God. Now listen to this. It says right here in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And I love, if you have the NIV, I love this translation because I think it's so clear. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Some say by God's mercy. But the object of it is is that you have seen, you have experienced God's mercy on your life. And then that act of worship, if you have the New King James or or King James or some other translations, that where it talks about act of worship is sometimes translated service. Because it's that word that I told you before, latrio, that one that I just messed up again. That word that means worship through service. And so he's actually saying this is your act of worship. Your service is your act of worship. So that we come to a place of once we have magnified God, once we have put him on the throne of our life, we have seen him clearly. We have a clear view of his mercy. Then out of us comes this desire to serve him. And that becomes our act of worship. Does that make sense? So that we we're, we're, we're go from this place of where we just do this thing sitting in here so that I'm just worshiping Him because this is what I've done all my life to where we go and in our life, everything we do becomes a glorification and a magnification of God. And then out of us comes this life of service and ministry, this life of, of love and grace. But if we don't get it right here, we'll never get this part right. And so that we've got to come to this place of of realizing that if I can just get a clear view of God, if I can just see Him for who He really is. You know, in life we get so, I I guess we get so um, disillusioned about who God is because we look around us at a bunch of junk that happens. We look around at stuff that God never really intended in creation, but because of sin we see a bunch of junk. And it can disillusion us as to who God is. But I promise you this, if you will take the time, not just on, if you walk in on Sunday morning, and thinking you're going to experience God in worship, and you hadn't experienced Him all week, and it's probably not happening. If we're just going to come in and tip, him, tip our hat to Him for about an hour a week, then we're probably never really going to experience Him. But when we begin to say, God, I want to see you more clearly, when that becomes the cry of our heart, 
I just want to magnify you, God. God, just become so much more clear to me that I can just see you. So that, so that when, when we begin to see him, then out of our life becomes this other act of worship. That L word. That we go and we begin to live out in our lives and in service to other people. And it becomes our act of worship. Now I want to talk to you just real quick and we'll get out of here. But I want to tell you what begins to happen when you begin to live this life of worship. When you begin to truly put God on the throne of your life. You begin to praise Him. You begin to exalt Him. You begin to see Him for who He is. The first thing that that happens is is that God becomes able to direct your life. In Acts chapter 2, we see that begin to happen with the disciples. We see that, that God begins to set certain people apart to go and do this. They raise God up. They exalt Him. God's able to direct their lives. We see with Peter and Cornelius, if you go back and you read that again, you begin to see really how awesome this event is because Peter is up on the roof praying, which I would have never done that. That's hot up there. I would have like been down in the house praying. But he's on the roof praying. Cornelius is over in this other town. He's praying. And the crazy thing about it was Peter should have never been associating with Cornelius to start with. This is huge for me and you because as far as I know, we're all Gentiles in here. I don't think we've got any Jewish people. If it had not been for Peter worshiping God on a roof, Cornelius worshiping God over here in another town, Cornelius getting a revelation about who God is and about the fact that Peter is over here and and he needs to send for Peter. And Peter's over here and he's like, God, I don't even like those stinking Gentiles. They're dirty. And God gives him a vision of the sheep coming down with all these unclean animals that the Jewish people aren't supposed to eat. And God goes, kill and eat. And Peter says, I'm not eating that. I've never eaten anything unclean. I know he's lying. But he said, I've never eaten anything unclean, God. God's like, kill and eat. Nothing I've ever made is unclean. And so he goes and he kills. He's like thinking, I can't kill this thing. And he didn't. And he goes, and what, what he's doing is he's beginning to show him that, Peter, you need to go to the Gentiles. And then he's up there. And I mean, you know, it's not like coincidence. He's up there praying at the right time when the people come to the door. He has this vision. They say, Peter, uh, we were sent by this centurion guy. He said, come over here, get you, come back. Peter goes. This guy's been worshiping God, worshiping God, worshiping God. And then God sends a guy to him who explains the way of salvation to him. And that's really awesome. But what would have happened if they had not been worshiping and God was not able to direct their lives? See, we've got to come to a place where we're exalting and worshiping God, seeing God clearly so that God can direct our lives, so that it's not emotional driven, so it's not just what I can think of. Listen, the best thing that have happened to me in life, a lot of them, have come not because they made sense, but because I was willing to follow the path of God for my life. Because I was at that point in my life, thank God, putting Him on the throne of my life so that He could then direct it. Because God's ways don't always make sense. Selling a business that's doing great, taking about a two-thirds pay cut and going to be a youth pastor don't make sense. But it was one of the best things I ever did. So that we have to begin to see that if we'll put him up there, he can then direct our lives. But if we want to be stubborn, if we want to put ourselves up there, then good luck. Because there's no way then for God to be able to really direct us and lead us because we're just doing it in our own way, in our own time. Um, The next thing that we saw happen in Acts chapter 2 was that there was personal transformation. Listen, these were scared people. And yet when they they began to worship God and the Spirit of God came, it brought boldness. It brought courage. And these are the people that God used to change the world forever. So there was a personal transformation. 
And when we begin to see this, we see that when we magnify God, we magnify God in accordance with the fact that when we see how really awesome He is, how really big He is, our circumstances become really small. Think about that. You think about your circumstance. And when you get into that circumstance, it seems so big and so hard and so difficult. But when you take the time to come over here and go, you know what, I'm not going to look at that. I just want to see you clearly, God. I just want to see you a little more clearly. And you begin to see how big and how good and how awesome God is. Then this thing over here just isn't quite as big anymore. You see that God is more than capable of handling this. And the cool thing about it is when you begin to worship God and God inhabits the praises of His people and His Spirit is there, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and anything is possible. All things are possible in God and in Christ. So we have this awesome thing where when we begin to magnify Him, we we become this person over here who is secure in who we are. We become this person over here who is confident in the fact that I can overcome. I can live a life that overcomes. But we got to start realizing, too, that God wants us to overcome. And when we begin to see this, we begin to see that I can overcome this thing over here. I don't know what it is, this thing that's just in my way. Whatever it is for you, you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, God is bigger. And so we begin to see Him clearly, and He begins to change our life. He begins to change our view. He begins to change so that, that we can see... That he's bigger than this circumstance. But we get our eyes clearly focused on him. That began to happen in Acts chapter 2. He began to to personally transform them. He began to show them that, listen, I know this is rough. I know this is difficult. But I can change this situation for you. The next thing that happens is, is that we become apparent to others whose we are. Listen, the thing that's cool about God is when he begins to be magnified, we begin not only to see Him more clearly, but people can then see Him clearly through us. So that when we're we're worshiping God, we become more transparent. They're able to see who God is in us. They're able to recognize God when when they see us. And that's the thing that we've got to get to. But it'll never happen if we're not right with Him in worship. If our lives are not yielded to Him in worship. The other thing is that it gives clear purpose. Those disciples, they were so lost. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. I mean, Jesus comes and he appears to Peter and those guys up in the upper room. The next thing that Peter does is he goes fishing. I mean, there was no sense of, of purpose. They begin worshiping. The Holy Spirit comes and he begins to give them clear purpose and clear direction on how to direct the, the goings on of the church and how to get things in order so that the power of God could be clearly seen. It gave vision for a path to change. Acts 10 and 2 and 3, Cornelius is worshiping, lost as a ball in high weeds. I mean, he ain't got a clue. He just knows, I know there's a God, I mean, because I can tell just from creating, there's got to be a God, and he's just worshiping. And yet God comes, and, and he begins to birth in Cornelius this vision, and it gave him a vision of how he could change his life. And see, some of us need to hear that, because some of us have probably been beating our head up against the same thing over and over and over again. And instead of going to God and worshiping God and allowing God to give us a vision on how to change our life, we just keep beating our head against that same wall. And I'm telling you, sometimes we don't need to turn it on Oprah or Dr. Phil. Seriously. We just need to get with God and let God give us a clear vision for our life and see exactly where it is that He's wanting to take us. And so that we get with Him and He gives us a vision. He had a vision to send uh, two men over to Peter and Joppa. 
And he says, send him over. And he comes, and, and Cornelius' life is changed forever. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and his life is changed. The other thing that happened in there is there were cultural boundaries that were broken. Peter went to a man he never should have gone to. He went to a city he never should have gone to. But because of, of his worship, God told him, you need to go. And thank God for us that Peter went. Had he not gone, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, but it was Peter who Paul came to. And Peter said, listen, guys, they've received the Holy Spirit too. We can't deny them to come into the kingdom of God. So that Peter had to have that vision that allowed us to become part of the body. That God used Peter to show um, the entire world that the Gentiles too had, been, had come in and received salvation and received the Holy Spirit. It breaks these generational boundaries. The coolest thing, one of the coolest things about this church is that when we come in here, they're, they're uh, infants and they're 80-year-olds. I mean, that's the greatest thing. But I believe that what breaks those boundaries is the Spirit of God. And when we come in and we worship God, when we've been worshiping God all week long, and we come in and we can share in that and the Holy Spirit is among us, that is what crosses cultural boundaries. I'm telling you, it's not like, you know, I, I, I preach in jeans a lot. I, I mean, it, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. But what crosses cultural boundaries is not just trying to fit in with the culture. That What crosses cultural boundaries is really the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God moving in the lives of people. So that if I preach in a three-piece suit and the Holy Spirit's still here and it's still the love of God, it doesn't really matter. If I preach in flip-flop shorts and my shirt tail hanging out, if the Spirit of God is here, it doesn't really matter. It's just God moving among the people. It's God, God doing what only God can do. And the last thing is that finally there comes corporal or uh, uh, corporate transformation. There's a corporate transformation that begins to take place. And that's what we see in here. The one thing that's been so encouraging about this church is the fact that when people come, the one comment that I hear more than anything else is, I just felt like it was home. I just felt welcome. I just felt the love of God. And see, that's because there's a corporate transformation that takes place. And it's easier when you start a church because you start with a clean slate to an extent. You're able to kind of begin to start things off right. But we've got to be that way. And when we as individuals begin to worship God, when we as individuals begin to take the time, whether it's through prayer, the word, whatever it might be, worshiping in our car, just be careful. Like if you're at a red light or something, you might want to stop because you can look kind of silly to the people next to you. But, you know, that's okay too. God, God understands. You know, but you're at this red light and you're like singing and, and, and you're really into it. And it gives everybody else some entertainment. But, but we just give opportunity in our daily lives to worship God and we allow Him to be on the throne of our life so that as we live our lives, um, we come in and we're transformed and then we begin to see that the body of Christ is transformed and that we're providing for one another what the other one needs, that we're able to supply to one another what we're lacking in and of ourselves. It's crazy. I mean, you would think that that's what the church would be. I think I told you a while back about the guy who said, someone on TV, he said he read his Bible two years before he ever went to church. I don't know if he was trying to disprove it. I don't know what he was doing. But he said he was reading his Bible for two years before he ever went to church. He said he read it. He thought he knew what the church was. He said he walked in the doors of the church. And he was like, I must be in the wrong place. He said, this is not what I've been reading about. Because it says that there was power in the church. It says that there was love in the church. It says all these things. And then he said, I didn't see any of that. And so it became disillusionment. But I just believe and we'll begin to worship God. And we truly yield ourselves to him. We truly come uh, 
before his throne of grace and we let him be on that throne and not trying to displace him with ourselves, then we'll begin to see a transformation in our lives and in the church's life as we begin to live for him and, and for one another. And that's our whole purpose here is just to love God and love people. And so I want to encourage you today with that. Just begin to worship him. Give him opportunity to magnify himself to you, that you can magnify him to others, glorify him in your life, exalt him in your life, and just allow God to begin direct your, to direct your life, your transformation, and all the things that he wants to do, both personal and in the body of Christ.